Listener-supported KFUO, we are the messenger of good news. I'm Gary Duncan. You're listening to the Midday Moments program. It's time for us to have our Moment in Creation segment with Pastor Warren Worth of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold. Hi, Pastor Worth. Hi, Gary. What is uh, on your mind for our discussion today? Well, I'd like to talk about the peppered moth and how the peppered moth has been used over the years as a compelling example of evolution in action and whether that's true or not. So uh, back when I was in high school in the 1960s, and I graduated uh, from high school in 71, um, the peppered moth was trotted out as an example of Darwinian evolution and uh, proof of Darwinian evolution in action. Maybe you had that same experience. Yeah, I don't recall. What is the uh, peppered moth? Okay, well, there was a man by the name of Bernard Kettlewell, uh, who uh, did experiments in the 1950s. And what he was dealing with was the color of the moth Biston betularia. Um, and in the 1800s, um, there was the Industrial Revolution going on. And so the color of the moths in the, the population shifted. So when trees... Uh, began to be coated in uh, soot from the Industrial Revolution, and there was acid rain that destroyed tree lichen. The lighter uh, peppered moths uh, were no longer camouflaged. They would stand out as light-colored against a darker background, and apparently birds uh, ate them up. And then, so the ones that survived were the darker-colored ones, the Carbonaria variety, as opposed to the Typica variety of the peppered moth. And so there was a shift in the population, and they became the darker ones were predominant, and the lighter-colored ones were less dominant in the population of the peppered moth in England. Well, it turns out then in the latter part of the 20th century, people had re-examined his methodology and the proof that was trotted out, and it turns out that there was some monkey business going on in terms of photographs that were staged, where they glued the moths onto a tree trunk and took pictures to make their illustration, and they also uh, staged uh, illustrations of birds eating the non-camouflage ones versus the camouflage ones, and so that became a disreputable example of evolution, and people said, well, that isn't true after all. Well, then it turns out in the, around the end of the previous century, so in the, about the 1990s, Michael Majorus uh, re-examined that work and did his own experiments, and he uh, spent about six years observing 4,864 moths, and uh, he decided that actually that was a good example of uh, change there. So his work con so-called confirmed, quote, camouflage and bird predation as the overriding explanation for the rise and fall of melanism in moths. So what was once trotted out, then was discredited, now is being trotted out again as an example of Darwinian evolution in action. Right. So whether or not one believes that the population changed in terms of the coloration of these moths, in fact, there was another experiment done on moths in the northeastern part of the United States that also seemed to confirm that there is 
relationship between the color of the moths and whether birds feed on them. The point is, is that really Darwinian evolution? No, in it's action still a moth. Not? It's still a moth. There you go. So what we've talked about many times here is the difference between variation within a created kind versus what would really be required by evolution is adding information that wasn't already there. So in in this case, what you have is that there were both kinds of moths already in existence. The information to make them darker in color or peppered in color already was part of what was in that created kind. The moth didn't turn into something else. It was just like we have blue eyes and brown eyes in the human population. There were the darker colored ones and the lighter colored ones already in existence. And the fact that under certain conditions, for example, if the trees are covered with soot, one kind is going to stand out and one kind is going to be more easily hidden, and then that the birds would eat on the ones that are easier to spot, that is really not evolution at all. That would be what people call natural selection, and natural selection is really just a difference in which ones survive to reproduce, right? So there's no new information there. You're not creating a new organism or a new organ within an organism, is that already the color variation was in the gene pool as just a matter of which one survived to reproduce. So it's really not at all an example of Darwinian evolution. It would be what you might call natural selection in action or the difference in reproductive numbers. That's all that it actually is. So we as Bible-believing Christians should not be upset one way or the other on this. You know, it's really something is interesting to see that someone would, if they actually did fraudulently stage photos to try to prove something that wasn't there, but then somebody says, well, actually, I did my own experiments, and even without the faked photos, it looks like it really does make a difference if the birds can identify one's uh, uh, that are of this color versus ones of that color based on whether the trees are covered in soot or not. That really doesn't prove anything regarding evolution, especially not Darwinian evolution. Right. And the, and the assumptions that they make about minor changes can lead up to big changes really is, is not, not uh, provable at all. It's, it's, that's not really the case. You know, what we actually observe scientifically is what the Bible actually says, that every living thing reproduces after its own kind, and there's no uh, observed process of adding information to the genetic code to make any kind of organism turn into a different kind of organism. Uh, so, once again, we, we come back to the fact that uh, this does not uh, undermine our understanding of the Bible, what God teaches about creation at all. And I always want to point out that the reason we care about this is because uh, the devil's really trying to attack your faith in Jesus. And so if he can't come in through the front door, he tries to go around the back door. So if he can't easily shake your faith in Jesus, he's going to attack Genesis. So when the devil attacks what Genesis teaches is because he's trying to get at Jesus and shake your faith in Jesus. So we as Bible-believing Christians want to strengthen our faith and that of our children and our grandchildren not to be deceived by the false teachings that get trotted out in textbooks and museums that try to undermine our faith in God as Creator and also undermine our faith in Jesus as our Savior. Would you like to lead us in a prayer as we wrap up today? I would be happy to do that. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks 
for your majesty displayed in your word, the Bible, that tells us about our creation and our redemption, and also your majesty as displayed in the works of nature, as we see uh, your created uh, power everywhere, whether we're talking about moths or human beings. And we thank you, O Lord, that uh, your word tells us the truth about how you created us and your wisdom and your power, and that even though we sinned against you and deserve your wrath, that you, in love, sent your Son, Jesus, to be our Savior, who died and rose again, that we might have the gift of everlasting life through faith in him. Keep us steadfast in our faith in Christ our Lord, and help us to teach our children and grandchildren the truth of your word, that they may be firmly established in their faith in you as our creator and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being on the program today, Pastor Worth. It is my pleasure. We're a listener supporter. We are KFUO. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and wherever you get your podcast.